0: This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football.
1: Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program.
0: It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Dustin
1: Hawkinsmith and Johnny McGonigal.
0: Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. They made the announcement over the weekend on Sunday that Mike Yersic. Was relieved of his duties uh, by James Franklin. We got a brief uh, statement at that point, point. and did we hear from James? We heard from James uh, since then,
1: right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, James Franklin had his Monday press conference. Uh, I, you know, we talked. Uh, I talked with Bob about this earlier in the week about how James' opening press conference was acknowledging uh, that. Um, that Mike Yuricic, offensive coordinator, was fired and wished him all the best and you know, best thing for the program moving forward. And that James would love to get questions, uh, regarding Rutgers. Uh, and that, that didn't happen. The entire press conference uh, revolved around Yuricic, around Franklin, around Penn State's situation right now and where it will ultimately lead. What led to the firing? Uh, the first midseason or in season. Uh, personnel change of that magnitude that James Franklin has made uh, in now his ten seasons at Penn State. So, yeah, a lot of different ways the press conference went, and a lot of different ways this podcast can go. Dustin,
0: I admire the optimism that they were going to get the result they were looking for there. Um, not sure if Dave Jones was in attendance for that one, but he was. He made sure that. Uh, James didn't get quite the desired result on Saturday uh, when talking about that offensive performance. And I mean, more specifically talking about two point conversion decisions, which that's a different story for a different day. I think making this, uh, making this announcement on Sunday did alleviate a little bit of the criticism, I think from that Saturday loss, didn't it?
1: Yeah. You you could, you could argue that, you know, I'm sure some people would argue that's why the change came when it did, because it immediately shifts the focus or the attention on you know, Mike Yursich and firing your offensive coordinator as opposed to some questionable in-game decisions by James Franklin, a loss that uh, has a lot of people still riled up and frustrated and annoyed and disappointed and deflated. Um, yeah, that, that's one way to, uh, to change the narrative. I don't think this is like a scapegoat situation, though. Uh, I, I've seen some people throw that out. I think Mike Yursich deserved to be fired. Uh, if anything, uh, you know, it, it, I don't see the reason why it should have waited until in the end, you know, the end of the season for all intents and purposes for what Penn State wanted to accomplish this year, beating Michigan and or Ohio State and pushing for a Big Ten title uh, and a college ball playoff berth, which both of those dreams are dead. Like your season is essentially over from that viewpoint. So why not make a change now? Get ahead of things. You've got a couple of weeks here until the regular season is over. Uh, the portal opens up after the end of the regular season, and so that's going to be crucial if if they're able to get in a coordinator, and and make a hire before uh, that opens. Because then you know, especially if it's a, if, if it's a splashy, really good hire, uh, you have a lot to sell to potential wide receivers in the portal, Dustin. Which. They are going to need going into 2024. We know that.
0: Are, are they ever? And I don't know that. I, I know they really like the group that came in. I know the Gonzalez kid uh, from Pittsburgh is better than his, his star ratings currently reveal. Like I like the group that they're bringing in, but it's it's not going to be an impact group for two to three years. In, in all in all likelihood, so there is no Im- immediate. And even the portal, you know, I think. Dante Cephas and Mitchell Tinsley are good examples of, yeah, the portal can help you at this position, but it can't save you at this position. It can't really save you at any position uh, except for quarterback, but even then, your your probability is more going to get an egg than a than a star. So the portal, it can be really good for certain things. It's usually better when you're dealing from a position of strength already, uh, not of, of need. So I'm not sure if there's a quick fix there. The offensive coordinator... Uh, decision. Um, were you surprised by it? I mean, as I'm thinking about it over the past couple days, days, uh, my feeling is like, I couldn't attach a word or a series of words to what it, what it means to be a Mike Yersuch offense. And that's part of this entire discussion, the idea of identity and that you didn't really have one, you know, you did what you felt was going to work. You made adjustments. I, I think Mike Yersuch was a very creative play caller. Like, I think we've seen some very creative things, Uh, But you said something last week in terms of like he lost the he lost the game plan at Ohio State. I don't know if you feel the same way about Michigan or not, but I I don't think there's always a there had always been a strong connection to what the game plan was like uh, at Ohio State. I know I aired one particular grievance where they they rattled off a couple really nice runs and then they didn't run it again uh, until the next drive, I think against michigan i think you were pretty successful with, with the ground game. much more successful than i expected you to be nick singleton looked great and he was doling out punishment i thought okay well if you can keep doing stuff like this and katron allen can come in there after he softens them up a little bit maybe you got something and then before you know it you drift away from that so i think what he was was a very good uh play creator i am sure that he he does good work with his quarterback. Maybe I'm just guessing on that one. Maybe I'm wrong about that one. But I don't know about really adjusting in game and really having a comprehensive strategy for what you're trying to get done and why you're trying to get it done. And then the other part of that, uh, James Franklin doesn't seem to be satisfied with the way Mike Yersh is calling the game. He said specifically on Saturday, uh, you got to get the young quarterback into a rhythm. Everybody can agree with that. But like everybody has a headset and you're the head coach right like if, if this is occurring in game what is james franklin doing in game to try to have his his influence on things i, I don't think it's enough whatever it is i don't think it's enough if you felt this strongly that he had to call out his oc after the michigan game then maybe you should do that in the first quarter of the michigan game yeah, well, it's interesting, Dustin. It's a lot
1: there, you know. And again, <laughs> sorry, always, I guess sorry, I, I went off. I'm sorry. No, that's <laughs> go, go off, King. Go off. Uh, a, a lot of people feel the same way because I don't think just firing usage is just an immediate fix, or that's like the only problem here. And we've talked for months about what has plagued this offense. Play calling was a big part of it for sure the lack of talent at wide receiver, I think makes it difficult on anyone who would have been the offensive coordinator to try and scheme things up. I mean, you've got wide receivers who aren't either aren't at the talent level that they need to be aren't developed to the point that they need to be. I think that's, that's on, I mean, Taylor Stubblefield, who was the wide receivers coach last year and got fired. Uh, Marcus Hagens comes in and tries to tries to fix things, but um, you know, so it's on the wide receivers. It's on, I mean, it's on Drew Aller too. I mean, this is a, this is a first year starting quarterback, um, <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, he, he's a 19 year old kid, but he's, he admitted after the Ohio State game that he said that he sucked and, and he took blame after the Michigan game too. Um, so he's not shying away from any, of the, any of the responsibilities that he might not have lived up to. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that go into this, but I do think he lost the plot, he being Mike Uricich, lost the plot at Ohio State. And I think the offensive, you know, the, the inability to finish on offense against Michigan. I go back to the second drive when they're down there in a goal-to-go scenario, and I thought that maybe James Franklin should go for it on fourth and short. But then again, you know, Penn State wasn't able to get in to the end zone on their first three tries. And the third down try was a fade, uh, which just... I know it worked against Maryland, but you know that's not going to work against Michigan. What? So okay, let's just okay. Let's just say, uh,
0: good receiver, average cornerback. Uh, in, in this scenario, how often does it? What what percentage of times does the goal line fade work? Do you it's think like, it's like forty percent or thirty? It's like thirty or forty percent. I think thirty or forty. Like that seems generous to me. Is that an yeah. actual? Is that actual
1: data that you that you cited? No, there is there is a article. Mina Kimes from ESPN did an article about banning the fade a few years ago. Okay, and I agree. I subscribe to that theory, by the way. And Penn State fans who watched John Donovan run it you know, ad nauseum mm. Uh, mm. In, in James Franklin's first couple of years, like there were flashbacks to that thirty to forty. Mikey Jenner. I'm I'm struggling to remember the exact figure off the top of my head. But when it's Dante Cephas against you know Michigan corners and a really good Michigan defense, like that just it's just unimaginative is the thing, even if it was a higher percentage, Dustin, it's just like, uh, oh, crap, we don't have anything really to go to at this point. Let's just right. throw it up and right. pray. And so I think that combined with everything else that kind of had gone into that, like Drew Aller had not developed the way that we thought he might this season. Yes, he looked good against Maryland and he had his moments uh, against Illinois and West Virginia. Um Obviously, the big moment at the end of the Indiana game. But this was, I feel like, a year for Drew that he was instilled, it was instilled in him not to make mistakes and to be prudent with the ball and take what defenses give you. And he's a kid who. Didn't really do that in high school. He was a gunslinger. He is, the, he is a ridiculous arm. And I think we've seen in flashes that talent that he has. And I just don't think he was unlocked uh, you know, this year at all or really given the chance uh, to cook. And so a part of that is the receivers. But you as the offensive coordinator, it is your job to scheme guys open. Uh, if you have a talent efficiency, you know, I mean, he Mike Yersuch came into the season knowing what he was working with. And it's not like uh, guys are going to take a massive leap uh, in season. We saw Dante Cephas break out at Maryland. That's good. Uh, that was a nice sign. But you know what you're working with. And time and time again, you run out the same offense and the same plays. And from James Franklin's perspective, too, James said on Monday that there were times that Basically, Mike would go off the reservation and not not stick to the game plan that they talked about all week and ignore what he he being James Franklin wanted to happen. Now, is that just head coach run, you know, running, you know, the offensive coordinator just got fired, you know, running You know, putting him under the bus, throwing him on the bus, maybe. Um, but. If it, Listen, John, Johnny. Can I can I just I, uh, just a sticking
0: point there? Yeah. If you're thrown under the bus or placed under the bus, I don't think it matters. Like I, I don't think I don't think the act of getting you to the ground and how and how much force that has has a lot
1: of bearing on your fate after you're already under the bus. But anyway, go ahead. Well, well, here's the thing, Dustin. So after the game on Saturday, when James was asked about Drew Aller specifically and James took that and said the play you know the play calling has to be better to get our quarterback in rhythm that was him you know running over Mike Yersich and then on Monday it was him backing over him like he was still okay. on the ground he was just running over and then backing over he just just hobbled him the first time so he was still there the second time <laughs> right like right. James yeah. is driving James is driving the blue bus uh you know going up curtain road and uh and Mike didn't make it but this is one of those now where James has to get this right, though. Like, it, like There is a lot of responsibility as the head coach, as the CEO of this program, uh, to get this hire right. Because yeah, you got Joe Moorhead right in 2016-17. He leaves to become a head coach. Uh, you could argue about Ricky Ronnie being promoted to replace him. And I know Ricky left to become the head coach at Old Dominion. But many would argue that wasn't a successful promotion necessarily. And then hiring Kirk Soraka didn't work out for the one year he was there. Mike Yurcich uh, didn't work out uh, You know, 0-6 against Michigan and Ohio State in his three years as OC. And again, that's not all on him, uh, but that's the reality of it. And that's, that's the business end of it. And so now James has a five-star quarterback uh, who I think we've seen that he has the talent. It's just a matter of him being in, put in a position to succeed. Uh, and you've got... Again, I still think one of the best running back tandems in college football in Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. And while Katron has shown, you know, flashes, you know, especially over the last three weeks of what kind of running back he is and what he can be. I still don't think Penn State's running game has been a disappointment this year after you know, we saw what they did against Utah, a stout run defense in the Rose Bowl. And then you come into 2023 and lay an egg in that category, and you've got two tight ends and Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson who I think are talented enough to make a – consistent impact on a week-to-week basis and they were like in the biggest moments hardly involved in those two games um so i I think a lot does fall at your feet and i think a lot falls at franklin's feet when it comes to making it's his decision to have this guy uh in in the position of offensive coordinator and now it was his decision to fire him and it'll be his decision uh to land the person to come in the play caller to come in and work with what you have and and to continue and push Penn State in the trajectory that everyone wants it to go into especially now you're going to be in a 12 team playoff you don't have to play Michigan next year it's still a tough schedule uh but this is still an opening for Penn State like 10 and 2 will get the job done uh in the in the coming years and Penn State can't slip and and I don't know. It, we'll, we'll see who he ultimately hires. I know there are some names that are already not not reported names being thrown around, but speculative names being thrown around. Uh, so we'll see who they ultimately get uh, here, at Dustin.
0: This is the Blue White Breakdown. So I want to ask you um, a couple questions. One about um, how good the Penn State OC job is. And it's 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 a loaded question. So chew on that for for a moment. And I want I want to get into your list of candidates, but I just wanted to make uh, a connection here as we look at Penn's, at James Franklin and his hiring of offensive coordinators. All right, five of them in the past, the sixth one's coming presumably. Uh, John Donovan. Nobody on earth saw w- what appeal there was to have him. At get have the, and maybe maybe James's hands were tired when he's when he was hired in 2014. Maybe his full candidate list wasn't available to him. So that that was an unsuccessful stint 2014, 2015, relieved of his duties. Joe Moorhead, home run hire 2016, 2017. The only one out of these five names that I would say whose stock as a coach uh rose from the time he arrived at Penn State to the time he left. He went, went to Mississippi State, uh, uh, to Oregon, to um to Akron now and P I know he's, he's on the list of, of names to watch for, for the next job, Ricky Ronnie internal hire 2018, 2019. Um, I would say, uh, It was maybe a mutual decision that it was time for Ricky to to go off to Old Dominion, and it didn't exactly hurt Penn State to get a fresh start there. I think think they needed a fresh start there. Kirk Charaka 2020, Pennsylvania guy, carved up Penn State, (laughs) Penn State, um, you know, and didn't get a fair shake. A lot of people would say based on all the restrictions that he was trying to coordinate through uh, with COVID and all that stuff. And then your and then Yursich, the the past two and a half years, the only one out of these five who survived more than 2 years um i think he falls into the pile of of coaches who stock it 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 went down um, as a result of being at Penn State. I don't know what his next move is, but I think for him, quarterback coach and assistant OC sounds like a pretty good sweet spot for him going forward with with what I think his skill set is. So the 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 one connection, and and I, and I think this connects in more ways than one. Joe Moorhead was the one with head coaching experience, and why James really that was one of the reasons that James really wanted him. Uh, his his two most successful hires, would you agree, Johnny? Are um, Joe Moorhead and Manny Diaz, both of whom had head coaching experience coming in. I think there might be a return to that quality when you're looking for a new offensive coordinator. And I don't know what it says. Like, I think it says something. I don't know exactly what it says, but I think just having a quirky play caller isn't enough for James Franklin. I think you need somebody who can take command of not only the offense, but where that fits into the greater good of the program as a whole. And people with head coaching experience have that. His two most successful coaching hires, I think, were former
1: head coaches. Yeah, you mentioned taking control of the offense. We know that while Mike Yersich might have went off the reservation a bit, play calling, and James was unhappy about that, we know that James Franklin is still heavily tied to this offense and was during Mike Yersich's time as OC, You know, spending time at practice with the offense, primarily letting Manny Diaz go do his thing on the defensive side of the ball. We know he was heavily involved when it was Soraka and Ronnie. He was more hands-off, I think, Uh, I think it's fair to say with Joe Moorhead and that experience. And and you know what? He needs to be more hands off, Johnny. Yes, I agree. I I agree 100%. And you mentioned the head coaching experience that Diaz had at at, at Miami. Uh, I think that helps him be a better defensive coordinator. I think Moorhead's experience being the head coach at Fordham uh, helped him be able to run the unit there. And I think James needs to be more hands off again. Like he is – you know, when when people say fire Franklin and everything, I I, I disagree because one, I don't know who you would get that's better uh, than him. In um, I don't agree with necessarily wiping the slate clean, especially as you head into a twelve team playoff. And like I mentioned, even nine and three, but ten and two will will get you into that dance. Um, but I think James is a good CEO. You know, from a recruiting standpoint, from fighting for facilities and NIL money and all that kind of stuff. Like I think he's good at that stuff. I don't necessarily think he is the best in game. Certainly, uh, it's a lot of questionable play, uh, questionable decisions there over the years. But I also think when he has his hand in the offense, like we saw what what Morehead and that offense did in 2016 and 17, when he was able to do his own thing, and it was the best Penn State has looked uh, under James Franklin. You know, obviously winning the Bateson title in 2016 and. I think they bare, just barely missed a window in, in beating Ohio State 2017 uh, as well, and the offense had a big, you know, big role in in them reemerging and, and being back on the national stage and in that conversation. So you look at Joe as a potential candidate here, and I think it's it's an interesting spot because does he want to come back to Penn State? You know, we know that he left for Mississippi State to be a head coach, and and that's kind of a that was kind of a, you know, a, a tough situation down there. They're very finicky uh, in Starkville. Uh, and so he leaves and becomes the offense coordinator at Oregon and then takes the job to be the head coach at Akron, uh, which a lot of people were like, hey, maybe he's a little too qualified for this. You know, is this really the job that the next head, the next head coaching job you want to take? I think a lot of it has to do with how close it is to Pittsburgh. Joe Moorhead is a Pittsburgh guy, he's a yinzer at heart, a lot of family. Uh, still in the four one two area, and with Akron being only an hour and forty five minutes away from Pittsburgh, like that is com- that is comfortable for him. He is comfort comfortable in that environment and within that area of the country. Penn State's what two hours and fifteen minutes away from Pittsburgh. I've made that drive plenty of times. I'm sure Joe has made that drive plenty of times, and I know that Penn State, a lot of Penn State fans would love to have him back uh, to be the offensive coordinator. We know that Penn State would pay more um, certainly than what Akron is paying him if. Certainly, I think double the salary, if not more. Uh, you, you mentioned Dustin at the top there of what you were saying before. You know how appealing is this Penn State job? I think it's I think it's very appealing. I think from a competitive salary standpoint, from a you know coaching at a at a school that while it's not Ohio State or Michigan, is still among you know those top programs in the country, consistently ranked in the top ten to fifteen. And you can be the difference between losing to them and beating them. And Joe Moorhead already experienced the difference, the difference that he made, right? Like pushing Penn State to a Big Ten title. And after the 2014 and 15 seasons, when people were already fed up with James Franklin, uh, you know, I go back to halftime of that Minnesota game. And James has has thought about that before, too, of 2016, when he was getting booed off the field and Penn State was getting booed at Beaver Stadium. Joe Moorhead was such a huge part. Of of pushing Penn State back uh, into that conversation and onto the national stage, and so I think he can do it again. I, I think he can. And It's a big question: can lightning can
0: lightning strike twice in the same spot? That's a good question. It's different because
1: you, know, you saw what he was working with, uh, you know, as from a quarterback standpoint with Trace McSorley um, is very different than Drew Aller. So I know some people will point to that and say, hey, maybe it's not the best fit for twenty twenty four. There's some other candidates out there. I know we mentioned Moorhead. And again, these are more speculative, you know, candidates, people that could fill the position or could be available. You mentioned a guy with head coaching experience, Sean Lewis, um, is an offen- young offensive mind. He was the head coach at Kent State, went out to Colorado to become their offensive coordinator, and they were averaging you know, 32, 33 points per game this year through eight games in his first year as OC. And then Dion just decided to to demote him, which was puzzling for everyone, you know, nationally, locally there. I, I have a buddy who I used to work with in Pittsburgh who uh, lives in Colorado now and has covered them a, a bit this year. And he was texting me the other day. He's like, I just, I just don't understand why that happened. Hey, hey! This, Sean Lewis would go from
0: he would go from leaving one somebody's got to go situation to arriving in another somebody had to go situation.
1: Exactly, and so he's a guy with head coaching experience. Um, I think a very good play caller and someone that James should be interested in, or and I'm sure Sean would be interested uh, in in coming to Penn State. You also look at some other names, some other guys attached to Penn State in the past. Joe Brady uh, is one that's been brought up. He was the quarterbacks coach uh, with the Buffalo Bills and is now the right. interim interim OC after they fired Ken Dorsey, and that could very well take him
0: off the board for this. If, if things go well in Buffalo, he might not even be a wish candidate at this point.
1: Exactly, and he's another guy too that you know w- went you started in the college route with Penn State. He was a GA uh, during the 2016 Big Ten title year, you know, GA for Moorhead, and then you know traversed his way to LSU. Uh, and in 2019, was their passing game coordinator when they had Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson. That must have been a hell of a lot of fun as they won uh, the national title, averaged 48 points a game. Hey, it's like it's like taking your driver's
0: test and then you get your driver's license, and they're like, "Wow!" And your parents are like, "Here's a Ferrari." Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. So <laughs> he parlayed that into. Uh, an offensive coordinator job with Carolina Panthers in 2020 and 2021 with Matt rule. Um, and, and that didn't work out. That whole thing just didn't work out. And so now he's in Buffalo and does, w- would Joe Brady want to come back to college? You see a lot of times, um, with guys, once they get to the NFL, they don't want to leave because they don't want to be recruiters. They don't want to deal with the 24, seven, sixty five ish, you know, of the college job and of the college coaching life. Um, I don't know what, what Joe Brady wants. Uh maybe he wants to stay in Buffalo if things go well. Uh with Josh Allen up there is as you know he you know takes on the interim coordinator job. Um another name just to throw out too, I didn't put it on my candidates list that, that I posted earlier this week on penlive.com. Uh but Brendan Marion uh is one that I think is garnered some steam amongst the speculative crowd. Uh, He's the UNLV offensive coordinator right now, was just named the Brills Award nominee. Uh, He's a Pittsburgh guy. I covered him uh, for a year uh, when I was covering Pitt for the Post-Gazette. He was the wide receivers coach in 2021 uh, when Pitt won the ACC championship Pat Narduzzi did not promote him to OC uh, when Mark Whipple resigned. Uh, I know a lot of Pitt fans are still upset about that, and and Brennan went – uh and, and is now at UNLV and doing a really good job there. So a young coach, one who is familiar with Western PA and with recruiting that area. Uh and so just another name to know. But there are going to be so many names to know that pop up Dustin. Uh, again, like I think James wants to in an ideal world get this thing done over the next couple weeks or at the very least by, you know, the the, the short time after the regular season just from a timing perspective with the portal and everything else recruiting. Um But over the next few weeks, there are going to be more names to pop up as the carousel continues uh, to churn throughout college football.
0: One last point on this. Um, We do have two games left in the regular season beginning on Saturday. They did announce co-offensive coordinators, running back coach Jaywan Juan Sider uh, and tight ends coach Ty Howell, who I believe both of those guys, you could definitely make a case that they merited some kind of promotion anyway. They've done a really good job at their respective positions. Uh, do you like them coming together at, in a co-roll there? And it has to spell out, right, that they're going to lean on what James Franklin has said with his words. They wanted to lean on all year, but we're never able able to make that happen. I think he sees two guys who might be able to make what he envisions the strength of the offense, the actual strength of the offense, which is going to start through Nick Singleton and Kate Tron Allen. It's going to include Ty Howell's tight ends doing their work in, in the running game. I got to think there's a swing towards that type of identity over these next two weeks and maybe into the bowl game too. We see a lot of times, you know, when they hired um, when they hired Kirk Shiraka, he showed up at the bowl game. He was on the sideline, but you're not coaching in the bowl game. I think you're going to see these guys, um, Hal and Sider, for three games. Um, safe to assume
1: that there's going to be more of a run-based identity here. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and you mentioned Siraka showing up to the bowl game and everything. They, the same thing happened with Manny Diaz as well. Um, you know, he was he was there for all of that, and I think again I mentioned the timing. I think they would love to have their offensive coordinator be around for bowl prep and just kind of see what they're working with and and all that. Um, in terms of Hal and Cider, I think it makes sense from a logistical standpoint too because Ty Hal has been in the booth all year, Cider has been on the sidelines all year, so you get both of those perspectives. Uh, over these next three games, the two regular season games and whichever bowl game they end up in. Which, Dustin, it's looking like a New Year's Six game is still very much in the cards. I know that that was a question uh, a couple weeks ago when Penn State was ranked, you know, behind Ole Miss in the initial CFP rankings. But I think ju- judging from projections and what other teams uh will lose ahead of them. I think they're in really good position to get a Fiesta Bowl or a Peach Bowl or a Cotton Bowl. So, um, yeah, that's me-
0: where most—that's where most of the projections lie, right? Yep. And it doesn't hurt if you're a ten and two Penn State team has so much appeal to these bowl people
1: always. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, and I know the Citrus Bowl would love to have them. Like that would be a coup for the Citrus Bowl to get them if they fall out of the New Year's Six slots. But I'm sure Penn State fans, if you're if you're traveling for a bowl game. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly I would take Orlando. It's nice and warm in December. Sure. I'm I'm down. Uh, but if you were able to get, uh, I don't know, uh, Alabama or Texas in a cotton bowl, I think that would be a lot of fun. I I think, I think that's what fans would really, really, you know, gravitate towards and, and be much more excited booking that flight, uh, for, for a game like that. And so I think Penn state is in position to do that. Now, will their, will their future offensive coordinator be, in, in some you know suite in uh, AT&T Stadium, looking down and seeing what he's working with, we'll see. I think in an ideal world, Penn State and James Franklin would love to get someone hired by them.
0: And uh, Danny O'Brien's a the name to watch through this, too. If, if some kind of permanent promotion happens for him, because James goes out of his way to mention Danny a lot. It seems like he might be another coach or another support staff member, I guess is the best way to call put it now, who's, who can climb the ranks, kind of like Ty Howell did. Uh, so we'll see. Penn State's got a game on Saturday uh, against Rutgers. Uh, they're what maybe like about a twenty-point favorite. You know, I think if anything, with two weeks to go in a, in a season that feels lost because you've you've seen the same script against Michigan and Ohio State play out uh, a whole bunch of times. At least there's this shake. I, I think for fans, it the shakeup helps. Kind of, kind of get out because the same old, same old is the number. it's, It's such a tiresome thing to a lot of people to see the way that they lose. They didn't lose a 48, 45 shootout to Ohio state. They didn't, they didn't go head to head and play Michigan's game and almost beat them. Like they were, they were, they were wimpy efforts. If, if we can put a word to it. And that's what drives people nuts. Uh, you know, eight and two, if you really showed out, and Drew Aller threw for 425 and, and four touches. There's a diff- there's a difference in win and loss quality when it comes to the Penn State fan base continuing to believe. And what happened this season is like the worst thing because well, not only did the same old thing happen, but it came in a season that began with more hope than anyone that I can remember, maybe since what, like 2017?
1: Yeah I, I go back to the 72 yard touchdown uh that Drew Aller had to Keandre Lambert Smith in the opener against West Virginia under the lights of Beaver Stadium and that felt like a uh, hey welcome to college football moment for Drew Aller welcome to the Drew Aller era and there was so much optimism you know coming out of that throw coming out of that game uh and obviously Penn State going into Ohio State undefeated there were cracks in the offense that we saw though some some you know just all right, yeah, they can't get going here. All right, it's close against Northwestern at halftime. Like, what do we what are we doing at Illinois? And they ultimately pull away and they covered in all those games. And and so a lot of fans were you know lining their wallets with that. Um, but there was still this underlying thing like, can this offense really get it done against the two biggest teams on their schedule? And they clearly couldn't. So a change needed to be made. Uh, I commend Franklin for doing it in season and and just. You trying to start start anew here with, uh, with a few games to go and, and get a, get someone in. Um, but boy, do they need to really get this right? Because uh, like I mentioned with Drew specifically, you don't if, if you don't hit on the five star number one quarterback, your, your' odds of getting that kind of player go down in, in the future. Now, um, one quick note, Beckham Kritza, a three star line, uh, linebacker, quarterback, three star quarterback. Uh, in the 2025 class committed a couple days after your was fired. Uh, I actually just got off the phone with his high school coach story. will be up on Penn live at some point in the near future might already be up uh, by time you guys listen to this. Uh, but, yeah, committing to Penn State, even without your there, really you know, has a lot of belief in Franklin and, and the program uh, and the future of what Penn State is going to do under James Franklin. So uh, an interesting an interesting nugget there coming out of the game against Michigan, uh, something to build on in 2025, 2026 and all that. But I know a lot of fans will be interested in seeing what this offense looks like right now uh, with Ty Hal and Jaywan Sider as the co-coordinators and what it will look like in a few weeks and a few months time.
0: Real quick, uh, two games left in the season. You're talking about, we talked about the bowls. Um, barring the wheels falling off, Penn State faithful are going to travel to wherever Penn State's going because it's probably going to be in a nice location. Nice excuse for a winter vacation. You go see the team play. And those people are the reason that James Franklin will remain employed at Penn State because the revenue train, it keeps on getting from station to station under James Franklin, whether he's losing the big games or not. And a lot of people who don't like James Franklin are the ones who are demonstrating just how loyal the support is from the Penn State fan base where it matters most coming out of their wallets. We'll see. We'll have plenty more on this subject and more. We'll see what happens. Penn State, Rutgers, uh, home finale coming up this weekend. Not a lot of intrigue there, and I don't know if there's a lot of like, oh, is he going to come out for, for Senior Day? type stuff going on there. So just watch the game unfold. I'm sure we'll talk about it in the context of how this offense performs under the co-OCs for the first time. That's Johnny McGonagall. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Saying see you next time here on the Blue White Breakdown. This has been the Blue
1: White Breakdown brought to you by Pen Live.